Welcome to Champagne Sharks, episode 174. I believe it's 174. We're getting up there, man. Um, I'm just bugging out on how fast time flies with how many episodes we have in our archive and everything like that. And so with that being said, we're going to go straight to the money. Go to patreon.com slash champagne sharks. For $5 a month, you get access to the premium episodes, all the back catalog of episodes. And we think you really enjoy it. There's access to a Discord so you can interact with other fans of the show. And um, so, yeah, with that being said, remember back in October, I believe it was October 23rd, 2018, we had a special guest and we discussed education. We discussed special education. We were getting ready to discuss. Uh, it was going to be a five part series. We're going to discuss uh, special education, prison, the, the school to prison and pipeline, gentrification, uh, what else, uh, parent engagement, and we we're going to discuss um, equitable access and things like that. And I've been trying to get this guest back on so that we could continue this series because I know a lot of people were asking about it and uh, we think there's a lot of valuable insight and information to be learned. And we finally were able to get our schedules to meet. So back with us in the Shark Tank is our special guest, uh, Malika B. Say hello to the people. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for having me back. It's just been kind of bananas. You know how busy I am. Um, and I've actually gotten even more busier if that's in my life. Possible, if that's yeah. possible. I know. I'm like, I took on a lot more roles in the community, um, not just the school mm -hmm. um, aspect. And, you know, as I'm a, a very involved parent and then I start, I was like elected and nominated the NAACP educational chair. Oh and I'm my. like, okay. And I'm like, ooh, that's, yeah, that's a lot of work because we've just been working on the last thing of scholarships and interviews. tell us a little bit about that it's actually I really actually I, at first I was kind of like this is a lot of work I didn't expect you know because mm -hmm. with the educational committee just like with any other committee whether it's legal redress or housing or we have different like categories and health and that type of thing so if you have someone that comes to the you know branch or calls in and they want more information like about education a lot of the times I've actually sent I've been appointed, got calls um, from parents about special education, mm -hmm. which I'm actually quite happy since I, that's like my thing, right, especially right, right. having kids with autism and, and special needs. Like I, that's my advocacy. So it's right up my alley telling them what are the first steps, you know, on how to deal with when it comes to it. So you'll get formal complaints about that. I've had a few of those. And then I've had just recently another one that just was like, you know, upset about the way their child was being treated, which is interesting when we we were, since we're going to be talking about a lot of these things coming up uh, about how when you're saying parent involvement or mm -hmm. then versus way a child who's a black child versus a white child right. and they're it was like really crazy and it's like okay you know for one I'm very reasonable and thinking and try to be as level headed and it's easier to do that when it's not your own child obviously right absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like when it's not your own child you could like kind of take a step back because you don't want to be emotional because one thing they always you know want to label us as black parents 
parents is we're emotional and we right. can't, you know, it's just anything to try, try to, to get say us. you're a threat. And they yeah, don't want you anything on to get us yeah, off of campus. Yeah, yeah. Like, and so I have to kind of like. So they can be free to abuse our kids mentally and emotionally. Well, yeah. And then they get upset when you at, when you're actually advocating and saying, what are the things that they should and shouldn't do? But one thing I try to do with a lot of them, especially our black parents that, that I have been getting these, um, if I get a complaint or question, is just to kind of take a step back and say, okay, we got to look at this logically. We have to kind of, we have to kind of think the way, and uh, they think, you know, when any white parent or anybody else who comes in, it's not that I'm trying, we're trying to portray something we're not, but we want to show that we're, we can be effective in our advocacy and, right. and get them on, on the rules and guidelines and what, and knowing your right as a parent and mm-hmm. as, and knowing the due process right that a student and a parent has. So yeah. I think it's been really great that journey. And that's why I've just been so busy, <laughs> but we had the, the best part of it was when we just did our scholarships for the seniors. Okay. And going to the different school, the high schools, because we have like four of them. So y'all giving out scholarships, man? We, yes. Oh my goodness. Okay. We have a, this year we actually gave 1550 for each um for the um each one applicant that actually made it through the process and the right. interview. Ours is actually quite simple. That's nice. Like it, it doesn't matter if you're the Deltas or you know Thetas aka like they there's so many black organizations that just want to give mm-hmm. money back for the students and we're just one of them. But I can tell you I just love you know when getting their applications reading their essays about you know just their lives and ideals and just also just the basic you know when they came in for the interview one girl just I literally had chills up my I had my hairs were standing up on my head because she was so cool like she has so much energy and and her story was so powerful because she was like you know saying she has you know it's four other uh, of them including herself so three siblings two boys and two girls and she was saying you know my mom you know I want to be a computer science engineer. I want to, you know, make sure I give back to my computer community. She's like, and most of all, I want to take care of my mom, make sure to give back to her because she's amazing. She right, raised right. four kids, single parents. And she was like, and even when we were homeless for a, a little bit of time, she made sure, you know, I had my cheer stuff and my wow. son, my brother was in, in football, like nothing. We never wanted for anything. She was like her son and her brother the, and the success of each one of her siblings, like her older brother ended up becoming graduating and master coming a CEO of this major company company um uh vice c oh sorry it's a vice vice not ceo but vice um, president and then she's like her older sister just got her master working on her doctorate degree the second the third one she's like i think she's the baby mm-hmm. and she's the third one's already in college on her bachelor's about to graduate from college and she's you know has is on honor roll she's one of the valedictorians at her and at her at her high school so right. like we were just like couldn't stop cheesing me and the other committee elders in the committee mm-hmm. i was like wow you gotta try to remain a Objective it and is, all that, but right? we're like totally like okay, you're getting it. This, yeah. What is the point of this this whole interview? Because sure, her, her just from the application alone, and I and I actually went to a lot of the schools and did presentations, and you know, try to pull many of our kids. And just the thing is that. <clears throat> You know, out of the 19 kids of some one of the schools, I pulled only four actually submitted their application. So, yeah, we were talking yeah. off air a little bit about that. Like, <laughs> here you are trying to give away free money. Free money. Right. It's basically like a little yeah. grant they can use to pay for, you know, certain for things, books, books for whatever. A thousand yeah. dollars can go a long way. Right. Exactly. If you do. And you got to actually chase these kids down you, to get them to you, do the basic things in order to, it to was, it was an <laughs> get free money. It is an experience because I swear to goodness, you, I, I sat there and I and I. 
I told them because we've had experience where where they don't even come pick up their check. Well, and I crazy. and I sit not only for the NAACP, I also sit on for the um, Passe, and they're the uh, they are a school African American of Alliance of School Educators, and and I sit on I'm a city man, member for them. Yeah, as Passe well. has some heavy hitters. On oh that, yeah, they're on like board, the biggest yeah. ones. So I sit on that committee too, and she's like, you know, we just sometimes they won't even come pick it, even if it's a five thousand dollar check. My goodness, and it's like because and I asked yeah, the I was counselor. Ask you, like, why? Well, no, I talked to the counselors because I had a really good chance to meet all the counselors at the school. And they're mm-hmm. so cool. Like, we're all really, you know, cool with each other. And then I said, hey, you know, what's up with that? And I told him what happened. He said, because they think that if they get these scholarships, that it will affect their financial aid, which a lot of times. Yes, yes. And their financial aid is not that much. I mean, compared to how many scholarships you can get scholarships to cover your all four years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, there are some scholarships that that give the money directly to the um, school. So that does affect your money. But most of the black organizations know that and they don't want that to affect obviously their financial aid as well. So we actually give them in other organizations, especially I know some of the the sororities and fraternities, they give it directly to the child. So that is made directly to the student. They cut them a check in their name? In their name. Yeah. So then they can keep that to them. Like one of them, I went, I just did another presentation for scholarships last night or Mm. yeah, yeah, not, not, yeah, the day before. And I was like, this kid, I was up there, was one of the presenter was NAACP. There was another, there was another presenter and he, the same kid got a scholarship from us for 1550 another one for 3000 hmm. and another one for 4000 That's nice. And, but he's like, in this, that was the other kid besides the other girl that I told you about, the one hmm. that was like amazing. She got several scholarships from different, all a lot of black organizations. So what I was saying with, to them when I was doing these presentations, I was like, look it, money is there. You can get enough money to you won't even need to be struggling you can even get you know get your little down payment on a car or or you know even whatever you need to be successful and pay all your food, books all, food, stuff, all yeah. your stuff i said yeah. you can get that and then the little necessities campus, that kids run into you're telling me your niece even has some issues like she when she was did. going to school with you know as far as like getting food and everything oh, like that that really surprised the hell out of me like how many kids are struggling you know, struggling and, and starving told- eating a cup of noodles and she <laughs> is and she was so yeah. skinny as it was and she was like flaca she was like really really skinny I'm like oh my gosh my niece is gonna be nothing in a minute yeah. but I told her about like even I don't I don't know if there's an education about that in the community mm-hmm. so one thing I was talking to in our our general meeting yesterday was was like the need for for us to revamp for educational not just advocacy portion but the outreach and to try to really educate and do workshops and things that kind of really educate the the youth because I don't think they know yeah so that that's been why it's I do apologize it's just been a lot of on my plate <laughs> and things love, even yeah. though i've unloaded like this year i'm finishing out my as a chair of the african-american parent council did that for years and and then we're doing our entrepreneurship pit comp- pitch competition on monday so that's like for the students i don't judge because you know me i'm unfair i would mm. everybody would get you give everybody everybody yeah, would yeah. get a 500 <laughs> grab for me because they're they're like amazing these kids are amazing these are middle schoolers that we have and they're thinking about business already that's yeah what, that's what and we really do the financial yeah. literacy and we do portion and then we go and do the entrepreneurship youth uh pitch competition and every single time like it just blows me away because sometimes i'm like working with these kids you know i'll go on a saturday and meet with their parents and them at the library and kind of really help them to try to you know encourage especially my boys because they're like they're like oh gosh this is too much work sometimes and i'm like no it's not but they do such a great job it never fails one of them just got actually the one from last year for his scotch season 
regional refreshment. He just got um, referred to do the regional competition. They win like one thousand five hundred fifty. Oh, wow, okay. oh you're talking about um, what's that young man's name? I met him. Uh, yeah, but he did it for yeah. Scott's seasonal refreshments. Nice. Yeah. And I was so proud of that, and I was like, okay, good. So the, and he won five hundred dollar grant for his business, and he and we have him at our end and at our youth kickoff, and had mm-hmm. him in his thing, and it was really good. So he does things in the community. So that's what we are trying to promote, like across the board and and in the whole school district, and mm-hmm. you know, hopefully meeting with the superintendent. So you know, the work doesn't stop; it just progresses. And and I'm yeah. just and 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 I don't usually have time for these downtimes, but I appreciate you know you. Mm-hmm having right. me regardless because we always have great conversations exactly. about every single one of these so yeah. okay sorry um so you know why don't we do this let's um kind of recap because it's been a while since we did that first episode yes. together so oh my goodness i was yes. thinking maybe we could just recap what we discussed prior to this one and then um go over a few things that maybe we missed out on or you know whatever and just kind of refresh the audience's mind about what we were talking about and um that's with regard to uh what we were talking special about special education, education right yes which i get a lot of calls for special education so i think that that was a good chance to kind of really recap about like about special special education and some of the things, just kind of your basic terms and, and systems and rights and that type of thing. What is what are the eligibility requirements, that type of thing? Okay. Okay. So let's start there then. Um, and we can get into the advocacy. Um, obviously, we have to you know know the system. So we want to learn the system. Um, what are their eligibility requirements? What rights do they have? What are the rights? And um, how they target the so-called undesirables. Yes, we right? did talk they, about they, that. They the try to get them out of there and do change of placements and all that great stuff. So I figured we could kind of start there, recap that, and then move on to, to the, uh, the school to prison pipeline yes. and everything. That because goes it actually with that. really intersects with that. So yeah. saying, you know, like I said, with when you get in calls about like the way a, a parent is upset by the way their child was treated and the teacher does nothing about it or mm-hmm. how they do it. So those types of things, I've actually had a whole lot of experience where I've actually had to, we've had to step in um, and did some, you know, write some letters and even had to push to get a, a principal to resign just recently. So wow. yeah. yeah, because of just really inequitable practices and things that, that they were doing, it's it's crazy. So we'll get mm-hmm. into that. Yeah, absolutely. So um, let's talk about some of the eligibility criteria. Um, like what what makes a child eligible for special education services? Okay, well, again, that's a good question. Children who have a disability and meet like specific eligibility criteria may qualify for special education under like one of the basic following criteria, which is autism, mm-hmm. um, or ASD, autism spectrum disorder, uh, which is what I two of my children have, um, death, blindness, death or blindness, deafness. Another one, big one, uh, which is a lot very labeled to a lot of black kids, unfortunately, get these unfairly labels is emotional disturbance. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And hearing impairment, intellectual disabilities, multiple disabilities, orthopedic impairment, Mm-hmm. Um, other health impairment, which other health impairment usually is going to be for ADHD or attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, which my you oldest has. So, yeah. yeah. And if they have that or ADD, then they'll just say other health impairments. That's just one um, specific learning disability, which is another thing that two of my children have um, low incidental ones, um, language or speech disorders. Oh, traumatic brain injuries, uh, visual impairments, like including blindness, of course, and 
dyslexia and stuff yes. like that? Okay. Uh, established medical disabilities, like from usually it's from zero to five years old. Okay. Um, but the the one that is really affects our kids is like a you'll find that they really like to to label them because I was talking to a teacher and she was talking to me and she was like I'm kind of wondering like what I can do to help my daughter because I know she needs certain services but they're trying to lean into her being classified as emotional or as ED so when you disturbed. yeah so yeah so when you see ED and I was like that yeah, that's emotional and she was like she's not that um that is not the case and there's behavior issues and that type of thing and I was you know and she's a teacher a special education teacher at that okay so she, she knows her stuff. she knows she, it but even if you her. know it when you have a child that's in it and you're advocating for your test like she works with children she has a classroom where she has to teach um there but when she's when it's her child and she you know she has to come for certain advices as well because advocacy versus teaching is two different things okay that's what we we're saying getting the advocacy because emotion disturbance let me just give you a quite phrase of what it is what that means like because of serious um what they what they say Mm -hmm. Um, because of serious emotional disturbance a student exhibits one or more of the following characteristics over like a long period of time and to a marked degree which adversity affects like educational placement placement is like where they're at if they're in the general classroom or they're in a, a, a special day class that type of thing but number one would be like an ability to learn which cannot be explained by intellectual sensory or health factors number two an inability to build or maintain satisfactory interpersonal relationships with peers and um, teachers. Uh, number three, inappropriate types of behavior or feelings under normal circumstances or what they dial, they deem normal circumstances. Which that's very broad, it sounds yeah, it, like. These are can, all very that you just limited on, yeah. on what is defined under IDA, mm-hmm. okay? Um, exhibited in several situations, um, like that's exhibited in several situations. Number four, a general pervasive mood of unhappiness and depression. There's some adults who have that. Right. <laughs> and and number- we're talking about kids kids here right yeah it is like and i was man i i sat in one of the teachers classes like for three weeks and and we can clearly tell like that's just normal middle especially when you're talking about middle school and sixth seventh grade those kids are like bananas all kinds because of of their hormones and everything else so hitting puberty exactly and it's in in the middle school is predominantly black and brown so you're you're gonna get that i mean i've even had my daughter them try and she has autism they're saying oh well we want to play or in you know a sycamore or so, uh, area where I know for a fact that particular cyst or educational area or, or environment is mostly for emotionally disturbed Seriously, students. Seriously, yeah. And yeah. autism isn't isn't the same thing if you have anxieties or in display what they say is unhappiness, right. depression may not be the same you know manifestation of what what uh, of the disability about like autistic children. But the number five one is is a tendency to develop physical symptoms or fears associated with personal or school problems. What the hell does that mean? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's very, that's another very broad one, it seems like. I think how ED is... Yeah, that's that's so broad. <laughs> they can literally squeeze any definition yeah, they want into that. Yeah, develop physical symptoms or fears associated with personal school pro- um, problems. And I'm like, that is the most... 
They talking about like phobias? Like what? What the hell? Um, for example, like my daughter, and this is another reason why she tried to. The coordinator was like trying to see about referring her to that is because my daughter is called dysplasia. I think it, they said, but she pulls out her eyelashes, her eyebrows, her mm-hmm. sometimes her hair when she is she has like oversensory issues. So that's part of the stemming. Right? It's called yeah. yeah, it's part of that. But you know they they they're like put extras on it. Huh? I think. Yeah. Yeah, or she's like, because they say, oh, it's anxiety. It's more like, you know, you're over sensory overload. So I'm like, no, that's not so much that. It's because when it's a lot of noise, you'll, you know, some of them, some children with autism will cover up their ears or they'll get like really overexcited or, mm-hmm. you know, they'll start, you know, rocking or hit or, you know, hitting their hands or their legs or just doing whatever they can to kind of counterbalance or kind of negate what they're inputting inside, you know, what coming at them so that's what you'll see but we also do stemming too we as adults do that some of them like to twirl our hairs yeah. or sometimes you'll <laughs> get a pencil pen and you'll just be drawing stuff doodling. like circles yeah, yeah, and yeah, doodling yeah. things i used to do that in school all the time because I, it's yeah. a calming effect so right. those are different now there are some preferred behaviors where Yo, you, you don't even want still got some adults that still suck their damn thumb <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh yes i yes Absolutely. <laughs> I won't even name those people, but we do know and have seen them grown people to this day. You're just like, oh, you're like in your 60s and you're doing that. Really? Yeah. All right. But again, it is it's fine. Like that's their choice to do that. That's mm-hmm. them. It's not affecting. The only time that we consider it a behavior or a maladaptive behavior that we have to actually target is when it's something that's harmful to themselves or the others. If it's like cutting, okay. you know, like, you know, some of the kids may sense. not yeah. even have be able to have pencil sharpeners because it'll take them out and start slicing their arms oh, and stuff. Man. Or, you know, those are part of the kids that are under ED classification. And I have worked with those kids too, you know, or E-glass or something. Oh, for, you know, that, yeah. So that's a that's a whole nother thing. But again, this is very broad and so easy, especially when you're looking at um, how does a parent advocate and a lot of a lot of kids and can I just say this too that I saw it's it's a hard it's more of a diagnosis they do give to kids who are um, either have an actual disability but most of them are foster youth okay um, and they to give a medication to to like have them not in a least restrictive environment which would be a general educational setting and have them in a different setting mm-hmm. and unfortunately they don't have a lot of them don't have surrogacies, they don't have advocates, they don't have, you know, someone there to or parent that or to, to combat that and try to give them the proper services and things that they need. But again, right. that's that's a, your basic eligibility requirement. And a, what what I can say, like some learning difficulties are evidence from like an early age. You can really tell. I started helping with, you know, identifying when they were like four, but you you actually need it even younger than that. Okay. Like two or so. But but in some cases the difficulties may not be noticed until the child starts like attending school. So that's usually what happened with me when my kid was in pre-K and I'm like talking to you know another parent who who was like hey have you thought about an IEP? I'm like what is an IEP? What is what is you know all these questions I'm like yeah. I have no idea what that is Oh, and then it's not like they you like you don't have a list of terms so that you can go to school and kind of get yourself educated, educated on you know what I'm saying? When you're saying 
understanding what an IEP is and you've never heard of it, an individualized education program. Mm-hmm. You know, the IEP is written as an educational plan for like special education students that includes like instructional goals and objectives based on upon like the educational needs specified and developed by the your team or your, the team of people that and you're part of that. So that's usually what that is, but you don't understand it at the time. So right. when you're looking at um, when they start attending schools and learning, you know, learning difficulties might cause a child to have some difficulties with like expressing themselves mm-hmm. um, and understanding what others are saying. Typical things of what I went through with my children, uh, reading, writing, or like number work, huge thing, or understanding information, uh, make making friends or relating to adults. Uh, yeah, all of those Sounds things. pretty. <laughs> yeah, organizing yeah. themselves, um, behavior, behaving properly in school. Sounds, some of that sounds like just being kids. You know what I'm saying? A lot like, of them are. It's 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 especially at a young age. Right. Exactly. I mean, who? who this who, is who, more like when you see that it's gone on for a while, and like because certain when they're young and they're in kinder and pre-K, like you can kind of that's where you have problems with identifying once they actually, you know, we we start putting structure on the child like at a very, very young early, age, yeah as, yeah, as young as three. Some kids are really, some parents are really, really like enthusiastic with how they want to do their special, they you know, with whole, academics yeah, and stuff. And sometimes I think out. that that's too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's nothing too much as far as getting academic, but it should be appropriate. Right. To the age and and kids do need that time. So when sometimes they not all kids are going to be able to get in that structure bubble, they can be extremely smart. Mm -hmm. And that's something that teachers don't always identify and their parents don't because they think, oh, something's wrong. My kid, I'm not doing enough or I'm not. They're not structured or or a teacher would think say that to their parent. I have been through that. Me and my husband have been through that. So we know. And we're like, and you really look like, oh, my gosh, is it really us? Maybe it's is wrong. Like maybe it's something we're doing wrong but it's really not that until you really know like obviously a lot of these things you'll understand when if, if your child does actually have a disability so special education provisions is the extra or different help given in school to children with special educational needs for most most children with special education needs um this will be in their mainstream class okay. so it can include group work or individual support that takes place inside or outside the, like the mainstream class or general education setting or they also say um, least restrictive setting so it could also be attendance in specialized class or special school um, mm-hmm. which is a change of placement from your regular one that's one thing that you'll hear like when we were talking in the first um, episode that we did about those how the history of special education how it started mm-hmm. and what it was to target and sending those kids to the specialized um, instruction class or special school mm-hmm. um, for for black kids and we you know played that Tracy Turnblad part where she's like oh I have to go there with you know the the retards or something and or the, the black blacks yeah and try to you, hold back yeah and it's true but but again that's where you know we talked about the history on it and how it affects it and then just giving more criteria of how you know classifying our kids with ED and okay. now you you understand what those 
those are, they they can be for any kid that's going through some, whatever emotional issue that they have, especially in school. Right, exactly. They, they're dealing with bullying. They're yep. dealing with their sexual rotation. They're dealing with, you know, hormones, attractiveness to the other. Which is, you know, that's a funny thing to me because, you know, as much as we hear about um, sex education and things like that in school, and, you know, there's always a lot of controversy surrounding that. One of the things that always tripped me out is like how the sex education part primarily focuses on, you know, reproduction. Mm. Right. And certain things that happen in your body, you know, teaching girls about their menstrual cycle, yada, 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 safe sex, all that kind of stuff. But they never really just talk about the overall hormonal changes in, in you know, changes in brain chemistry and development that kids go through at that age. Right? It, that, that's never a part of the discussion. And you would think that if somebody would be smart enough to say, well, hey, you know, these kids are still developing, you know, their brains, right? Mentally, emotionally, mentally, physically, physically. physically, because they're like some getting thetas that never had them, some who are like, (laughs) you know, I'm just just saying like (laughs) it is like you're, you know, I remember, can you imagine being with a daughter who has autism and then the first time they're sure they're like, they don't know what the heck is going on or when they Mm -hmm. first get their menstrual or their body's growing and they're getting hair down here like freaking out. Right. And can you imagine, that's a child with special needs, okay? How, and I have gone through that process and it's very, like, for me, it's hard Mm -hmm. to explain because they don't understand. Can you imagine a kid who's just a normal kid and and they go through the same freak out. I mean, we've been through it too, but it was so interesting when I was at the Rites of Passage um, ceremony for the seniors. We had a guest speaker, Dr. Nikki Elliott. She's a clinical professor and an author. Like, yeah, she's freaking amazing. She's at the University of Laverne and she's like, you know, came down her time to do this. I mean, she usually gets paid way more to do these gigs. I think she practically did them for free. It was really low cost that we got her for um, to come out and speak. But she wanted to be, uh, she ends up teaching neurology and as a, as a neurologist. Oh, okay. And she wanted to be, you know, actually do that in the field. But she ended up going to education. So she teaches teachers and principals and things about, you know, neurological social effects and stuff uh, of, of students. And, and um, she just was saying like what our black kids go or just kids in general, like having a traumatic experience she said it takes literally neurology no no neurological yeah my brain my can't say (laughs) neurological if you're looking at the neurological effects like they can't even for 30 minutes she said for 30 minutes they can't even learn Mm. they can't even they their brain will not allow them to process any new information like that they will not be able to sit down so you you take a kid that yes they may be acting out or whatever these ed those 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 basic things that we talked about just now for the listing of, of a child with emotional disturbance because they're going through a traumatic experience or, you know, how they react to something. And then you pull them out of class, you interrogate them, you belittle them in front of their their other peers. They're, it's a traumatic experience for them. Mm-hmm. And, and especially at that age, they don't like to be, you know, stood out from the rest of the think group, okay. you know. So they can shut down for 30 minutes. And she said, and then it takes like three hours just to get them. That's what she said. Lord. Dr. Nikki Elliott, I was, she was 
like schooling us on, on a lot of different things. And the students were really listening to the seniors. I know I was. It takes them even three hours just to get themselves back right to be able to a learning environment what they were prior to whatever the experience they had did. Right, right. So let's talk about um, some of the rights that you have with regards to having a child that's classified as uh, needing special education or having an IEP or whatever the case may be. What are some of the the rights that parents have? And even maybe you can even touch on like a little bit about like how some of these some of these um, organizations or some of these schools, like they kind of hide the the rights that parents have. You think you're saying do they hide them or? Yeah. Do they kind of keep it? You know, do they give the full express? Do they do do they make sure that parents fully understand? understand all of the rights that they have. And this rolls yeah. this goes into the advocacy piece that you were discussing earlier. Like how do parents how can parents get equipped so that they know what their rights are and like do the schools go through any kind of thing where they try to camouflage or, you know, confuse what the rights are as far as um, parents to have children with disabilities. You got, am I, I'm probably... No, you're, <laughs> no, you're making perfect sense because legally they do have to provide them with uh, procedural, um, like procedural safeguard. Mm-hmm. And that's the one they give it to you for your parent here. We just want to let you know, these are your parent rights and procedural safeguards. Can you accept them? Yes. Then you sign. Mm-hmm. So that's, so they, give them to you but do you understand them there's a difference and this is in the midst of a of an IEP or whatever yeah whether it's an initial IEP which they're trying to see if your child is eligible remember I just listed the several eligibility requirements um so then you're saying what are the procedural safeguards and then there could be for IDA or section you know a 504 or whatnot but parents and students who have a disability must be provided with a notice of their rights and that's that's the notice prior to the conducting of an evaluation Okay, that's so, kind of sounds kind of tricky because are you already in the midst of the of the the meeting no, prior to getting those, well, or do no, you get them before? They, they they usually before an evaluation when you sign your they can um, should give it to you when you're signing your you know assessment, mm-hmm. um, and then they give it to you right before the meeting as well. So you do have time if you to look to look at it before you walk into now. That first that's meet. what they're supposed to do. <laughs> but when I'll, I keep yeah. saying supposed to because <laughs> right. let me tell you. I I've seen some shady stuff and then uh-huh. and and especially if a parent doesn't know that they're supposed to get these uh it's just it's again there's they're supposed to have it prior to conducting the evaluation and making the identification or making a significant change to the student's placement and um you have the right to understand you should understand it a lot of a lot of parents don't and that's the, the main thing like when I got them I just I literally when I first and I told you in like in the first one I didn't know anything. And you want to trust that, that these people are working on, on your and that's behalf. The thing. Yeah, you yeah. 100% because you feel like I'm not the expert. You're the experts. You guys have the, you know, BCBA, the um, board certified be, uh, behavior analysts. You guys have the, you know, um, psychiatrists and psychologists and the, you know, all the other, the occupational therapists and the speech pathologists. Yeah. But, you get in but, there and find but can out. I just say this? They use a lot of acronyms. So my thing in our first yeah. one is I'm so used to using these acronyms. You forget, like even forget the meaning of them, but <laughs> because cause you know what it is. But it's like I said, OK, I'm going to have to really make sure I get my stuff down because especially now in the role that I am in, I'm like, oh, this is a 
lot of work, mm-hmm. but it is, it's to understand. And I yeah. actually took it a step further. I went to the library. I got the book, um, IEP for dummies mm-hmm. and I just studied it. <laughs> I did. I said, it's like a lot. for dummies book about every, any it and really every subject. Is, you can but think the about. IEP for dummies had all the hundred or so pages of the actual federal of okay. the 2004, the, um, IDEA. It's like they added on a, I, it's like, <laughs> I was like, oh my God, this is a lot more than what I thought it was. But I read all the pages. Then I looked up on the line about the different court cases that, you know, were challenged because of, you know, discrepancies and do right violations and compliance. You know, I basically went to school and taught myself and I said, you know, I'm going to learn this. And then and because the special education system is growing and it's constantly, they, they use different wording for the same day. A lot thing. of jargon. Well, yeah. We don't call it that anymore. We call it this because they're trying to be politically correct. Mm-hmm. And it was something they have a new word for foster foster kids. And what? <laughs> I was up there in a meeting with the head guy at the one of the coordinator, one of the head coordinators there. They're like right underneath the director of special education. And he were talking about, you know, just running the gamut of, of the system and like wanting to do more of the transparency mm-hmm. um, between the district and the school. Mm-hmm. Because there's district policy or your local agency, uh, educational agency, LEA. You're going to see that a lot. And then there's the school practices or what they have. And this is something I wanted to kind of get used to understanding. So they have, it's just what the different practices, like from how it is from top. So top would be the top, obviously, would be the IDEA or IDEIA, which is IDEA, but is individual. Visual with Disability Educational Improvement Act. Okay. It's a very long word, but it's a federal le- you know, legislation that, you know, created the amendments and the laws. Gotcha. So from there, you have your state um, laws and then you have your, and each state, so each, the federal allows each local educational agency to set their own, their policies within the same reasons. You know, I mean, you can't have anything that supersedes, obviously, federal law. Right. But it has to be customized to the ge- ge- uh, geographic area of, of, of what you have there um, in that city. And then you have, that's the district. So when they say LEA is your district policy, then you have your schools because the district gives each school site autonomy and, you know, different autonomy to, to how they implement it at their schools. So again, it tri- by the time I think like telephone, it trickles down mm-hmm. to the actual school site. You'll be surprised like they're just throwing things out the window like and how how they do things like like I said what they should do is not what they do. You and should be giving me under idea, you should be giving me a 30 day notice when you want to set up a meeting with me. And I think I told you this before. Right. Like you don't call me two days before an IEP and annual and say, um, yeah, we want to have an, it's a Monday and you're saying, okay, Thursday, we want to have this meeting. Right. Like, no, I need a 30 day. I'm not going under your, your, you know, district. I'm your, the district is saying 10 days, but under IDA, if I file a due process complaint, complain against you guys. You guys are out of complaint. You can't give me a, a less than a week or two week notice. These types of things were, like I said, is what you, what, whatever you should do versus you, like I said, which what's district policy versus school practice. And they and bank it, on parents not knowing and getting confused and all of that mess. They yeah. do. Cause what they do is they'll tell you school policy, like is district policy. Mm-hmm. And once we get in about 
that because then I'm going to on each on each um, talking point and also each um, part of the series, we're going to talk about when you're saying school to prison pipeline. And that's what we get into pretty much right after this. What is the school policy and what is our school practice and what is the district policy? Then what are the state? Then, you know, same thing with gender, same thing with parent engagement, equitable, all these types of things. There's always you're going to see two on, on both sides and how they enact it. And then they'll say, oh, no, we're backed up by the district lawsuits. And especially in the city that I'm in, you know, there's so many lawsuits because most of the time they don't think that us as parents of color or, or ethnic parents mm-hmm. are going to do anything about it. Right. And they re- literally like walk over them, which is so sad. And this year alone, I and that's what got me so busy. I had to, you know, help with other of my committee members to sit there and combat that. And actually, you know, even having to write letters in order to, you know, help with advocacy on behalf of the parent. And I, and what I decided to do, because this has actually helped, I've been, you know, training a particular parent and trying to give them like knowledge and how they work. And, you know, they're like, yeah, just let me know. I'll write it. And they were taking good notes, but I wanted them to know the system. But then I said, this is a good idea to actually do an actual workshop because the school district will give it to you. Are they going to explain it the way they should? Or are they going to explain it that is right. advantageous to them? Nine times out of 10, they're going to explain it. 10 times out of 10, they're going to explain it in the way that's advantageous because to them. Because they want to either change your placement, which is the last thing what we're saying is, you know, you know your night rights. You have to know that they have to give you a safeguard. You know that they need to be evaluation process and then eligibility. What are the services? And then, of course, if there's more information that like listeners want to know, I think that we could definitely provide them a outline. But I am actually working on putting all of this together. And like a step by step. Yeah. yeah. And just kind of in not just from the five part series and really just putting that all in to kind of just give a parent an overall view of the whole, especially being a black parent, how to deal with it. What to expect from start to finish. Because it's yeah. different. Special education is no different from anybody, for anyone, but it's different in how they treat you as a black parent yeah. versus you as a white parent. We've seen but, that. But yeah. if they don't want your, they, they don't, whether you're white, black, I've seen it. White, black, brown, doesn't matter, Asian, they don't like children or they call, it is undesirable who have the special needs that they have to spend money on. Mm-hmm. So the change of placement is the classification of ED. Okay. Because then they can say this child isn't safe to be around themselves and for other children and they need actually special treatment, a special extra. So emotional disturbance is the, the classification it's, they it's, use it's, to get people out of It's a lot there. of the classification they use to get a change of placement. A change mm-hmm. of, and, and that's something I constantly am, am leery of, you know, and especially with their history. I had to have a parent that their child was classified. And I was going over their paperwork and I go, did you know that your son was classified under ED, emotional disturbance, since second grade? Oh, man. Damn. Since second grade? Second grade. God damn. And he just got changed. His change of... See, she came to me late. Like, she came... But I think that she preferred... For her, it was easier to put her kid in a, a therapeutic or put her child in a, in a different change of placement because of, you know, not being able to acclimate themselves in a general setting. And mm. I, and that's fine. She actually did really well in getting... Um, whoever worked with her prior did it really well in getting the child a lot of services. But when they came to this particular school, they were... I think he was in the change of placement happened and he wasn't even barely in there for 30 days and they were trying to do a manifestation meeting and and a manifestation meeting is basically what they do they they can't just expel your child and suspend your child we talked about that previously they have to have a meeting and 
saying, is this behavior or or whatever it is that they have done that violates school policy, is this a manifestation of their disability? When the child has an IEP? When they have an IEP. Okay. Is it a manifestation of their disabilities? And if it is, they can't just expel them for, or suspend them for 10 days. It's a mm-hmm. 10 day, um, if it's consecutive and then it's an expulsion. Mm-hmm. So they ha- these are other ways of strategies they use to, to get your child or your undesirables out of there. And, and it doesn't matter. I had a white parent come to me and talk to me about the same thing mm-hmm. they were doing to the black parent. So it's not even so much when they don't want that particular, especially if they have behavioral issues, I have, you know, they're going to do whatever they can and say, you know what, either they need one-on-one or they're going to need a change of placement. We need to mm-hmm. remove them because they, they this is not for them. I've even know? heard of situations where they do all they can to get rid of kids because they did something to a parent that has connections with, yes. with, certain people within the district yeah. and have, you know, that classism that comes into play. Like, I've even heard of that kind of thing. It's all politicking. And if, yeah. if they feel like, okay, I don't like the fact that their chair ju- the the call that I got last month, which I, you know, I have to follow up with that too, because sometimes parents were starting and you don't tell them exactly what they want to know and then they may not call you back. So, mm. but I do like to follow up with them, but they were like, there was a white parent in there and they go to a Mandarin uh, dual immersion program. And we'll talk to more about those types of programs when you have your child in dual immersion schools or dual language, dual immersion language programs. And this particular one was Mandarin. And they started them off from speaking Mandarin from kinder. And it's only Mandarin. It's not even, you know, English and Mandarin. So complete immersion. A complete immersion. They just started that, I think, um, this year, from what I understand. But from K through fifth grade. And then they go on to, to middle school and then high school as well mm. um, for this. Per- but again, there's not very many black students that are in those schools. Of course. And and you can't just get in it without testing in. So mm. you have to start them off at kinder if you can even get in that school because right. it's a waiting list. And this is public school. A waiting list for public school. Well, yeah. Yeah, that that is... <sighs> but that pro, unless you have a sibling that is already in the program, then you get, you know, it's called sibling, you know, in. So you can get your sibling automatically gets a place. So we're not talking about a private school. No, it's public. A p- charter school. Public. Or anything, a public school. Yeah. That gets money from the residents of that city. Yeah. Tax dollars. Mm-hmm. And they have a list a waiting list of who can get in. And yeah. Who, but yeah. then that goes with the gentrification that's going to be talked about in the third mm-hmm. series, like that, how that works. And then, and, and when we get into even the fifth series, we're going to talk about equity and be having those access. So those types of things are, are what you see. But this parent's particular thing was saying there was a white parent in this. She was, it was for her son's, first grade class, I believe. And basically, you know, the son was sitting next to her daughter. The son was fidgety as kin, as first graders are fidgety and accidentally bumped the girl's hand mm. with her chair, I guess like squashed it or whatever. Mm. And she like went off. She started calling the kid. She was like, you, you need to apologize. You're just nothing but a little criminal. You oh, know? wow. Yeah. Calling them a criminal and then going to the other kids and saying, saying, you know, defamatory things to them. And she was so upset when she called and she was like, this parent, like, you're just going to end up in jail, like saying these, and these are first graders. And she said, the teacher, I said, well, what did the teacher say? She teacher did nothing. And so, you know, how I wish I could that. say that's unbelievable, but you hear so many stories. 
stories like that every day, especially when you're on social media and Twitter and all that. Like, I, it seems like every day there's a video somebody posts of some type of abuse happening to school children, yeah. um, whether it's by parents or whether it's by law enforcement and things like yeah, well, that. This is so, another yeah. parent that's supposed to be, you know, volunteering. And that's why when I talk about parent involvement, I said there's a there's right ways and good things in vetting mm-hmm. for even people who are involved because you may have a parent in there that's racist as hell. Yeah. And especially when it comes to children that are different for, you know, her little Amy, you know, probably that's the thing. And I'm saying Amy, that's not the girl's name. I right. don't know what the girl's name is. But but I, I could she was like, I want to sue. I want to go this. And it was like, it, but it was zero to like, I'm ready to go and, you know, to the max, which is like, you know, I'm going to you know run over the tank truck. You know, you can't, there has to be a due process. So you have a right to face your accuser. You're accusing them of these things. You need to, you know, call the principal, have a dialogue with them, have the dialogue with the the, um, the teacher. She didn't want to hear that, but you have to know the system. And I'm going to constantly say that you have to know mm-hmm. how to work it. They know how to work it perfectly fine. Right. They not only know how to work it, they know the loopholes and they know how to get around and they don't even need to do that mm-hmm. because they got white privilege. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's uh, in a nutshell, just if, if you're recapping about special education is just knowing the advocacy. You can't do effective advocacy if you don't know, obviously, the law of what and all these things that you should know, like you should have there. You, I know I, you don't have to get IEP for dummies, but you can. There's so many different books about the IEP and you. Um, they have resource guides for parents and guardians and like tips. And then there's also advocacy, um, legal advocacy groups that actually put on like vocabulary, They'll um, like the Learning Rights Center. Um, there's so many different um, ones that will, you know, give you the basic overview so you can kind of educate yourself when you're sitting across um, for whatever specialist or, you know, teacher or whoever it is that's telling you what they feel that's better for your child. And never, one thing I will say in the recap and as, as part of this recap is never think that you're not a part of the process. You have a right to be a part of your child's education experience and what they benefit from. You have a right to, to make that decision. If you don't agree, you don't sign. I don't, I can tell you this. I never sign my IEPs. Mm. I never sign them the day of. I always, because one thing is they want to have you, they give you all these reports and they expect for you to sign and accept, which I did the first time. I did. Cause mm. I, I thought that whatever they're the specialists and they're giving me that it's, it's going to be right. And there it's the best for my child. I wish I never did that. <laughs> I take time to read everything. So both right. that was then. I do sign them now. The, now, the last two, I've signed them on the day of. And the only reason why is because I request two weeks in advance or no later than a week advance all the reports that are going to be presented to me at the IEP. I want the uh, OT report. I want the um, SPED report. I want the special education. I want the behavior report. I want every report. And then if and then I also uh, request a meeting, a pre-meeting. So the meeting before the meeting. <laughs> Right. To meet before We talked about that. Yeah. So yeah. we do the meeting before the meeting and then I'll sit down and say, okay, based off your Because you better believe they're doing a meeting before oh, the meeting. Oh, they are because they already yeah. come in there with a strategy on what they're going to do. Exactly. So I request to meet with the specialist. It doesn't matter who it is, the teachers, and have that conversation and say, like, based off of your report, I'll say what I agree and don't agree. I will, you know, talk to them about it and come to a consensus about services. Yeah. We negotiate on services prior to even the negotiation at the table. 
So by the time so, you walk into a meeting, yeah, I've already pretty much. Well, yeah. we should because sometimes they'll flip flop on you and yeah. say one totally thing. But yes. but again, if you have established a good relationship with everyone that's working with your team, and that's your team. When I walk in, that's my team, and it's so funny because my <laughs> special education coordinator, she's like, she's like, oh, you are just. <laughs> she's laughing, laughing. This is the one that we just had in May. She was like, oh, you're just running things, aren't you? You just run the whole meeting because I was gonna dismiss the teacher. Mm-hmm. And she's supposed to dismiss the teacher. I totally forgot. <laughs> but I was like, you may go. I'm going to go ahead. And she was like, you can't. <laughs> I was like, yes. I said, but me and her are really cool because, you know, right, we, right, we right. sit on different committees outside of this. She just happens to be my my daughter's uh, and son's coordinator. But but she, she knows me. But like if I don't, you know, me and her, we have such a great um working relationship will she you know we'll get together and i'll say look at change this do this add this i want you to work on these goals and and it's really good so if to become in that level and i've already my daughter's gonna be in high school i've already met with everybody that she's gonna meet with and it's good so if you as a parent can do that i i highly suggest to do that so by the time you get to there i i can say we have like a 45 minute iep which is unheard of when i first started we had four hour ieps four hours Because we were battling out with legal representatives and everything. I don't yeah. need them no more. So Three and four hours of anything and my brain just turns to mush. You know, in the podcasting world, generally on this show, we try to go like an hour, hour and a half max. There are podcasts where dudes are talking for like three hours, yeah, three and a half hours, two hours and four. I was like, my brain turns into mush. They don't need to like, drink water, go to the bathroom, or do I don't know. Food? I don't know what those. It's dudes not like are you're doing. playing a video game. Like you, know, right? you play video games, you just you're just so into it. You're into, you, you yeah, forget to. Surprisingly, there's a good amount of people that. that listen to that though. Like they'll listen to someone pontificate for like three hours on a broadcast. It's like God damn. And that's man, called a like, long road trip. That's what they're doing. They got a long yeah. road trip and they want to listen to something. I mean, talk. it's like to me, if you can't say there's this one real popular. I know we're kind of digressing a little bit, but I'll just there's this one popular podcast um, mm. where <laughs> the guy, you know, he'll be talking about something and then they'll just be like a good 30 seconds of silence and dead air. And then he'll pick up on his point, I guess, maybe because he's doing that for if to let things sink into people's <laughs> minds. I don't know what the hell, but. Mm. If he would just take away, he does it so often. Like if he would just take away some of those pauses, like the podcast would be or the broadcast would be an hour, hour and 20 minutes. But he does it so often. It just extends the length of time of the damn broadcast. I was like, damn, bro, you you know. But anyway, I digress. Um, So is there anything else that we need to that you need to add or that maybe we forgot as we get ready to close out the recap and and move on to um, talk about the school to prison pipeline? we touched on advocacy, learning the system, and how important that is. Um, what are the eligibility? What are the procedural safeguards? How important it is to know your rights. Um, the assess. I just say, just know your individualized educational program, your IEP. You know the assessment and the IEP process. You know, for the first one is your written referral for assessment. Um, the written referral is usually either by your special education coordinator or, as what I did, I, a parent can say, you know 
know what, I think my child does need some kind of evaluation. And a parent can write and say, hi, my name is such and such. My child is name is this. They go here. This is their age. And I um, would like to get them evaluated, assessment, uh, have a sign an assessment um, to get them evaluated. I would like to meet the, with the evaluator because they have 15 days from the day you wrote the letter to respond to you and have an assessment for you to write. Um, so you want to sit down and you just say, I want to make sure that I uh, meet with the evaluator uh, when I sign the assessment. So that way I can give my concerns that can be added into the report. Um, and I understand that the report has to be at least 60 days. Uh, they have 60 days from the day that we sign the assessment uh, to, to actually hold the IEP and proceed with the report. So in your letter, just you're going to have an overview and that's what you can do to get the process started. Or you can ask the special education coordinator to do it. But I prefer to have a letter because it's part of the, the file. Okay. Um, so written for referral for the assessment from the holder or of educational rights. And the holder of educational rights is you okay. and the parent, you know, parent of the student. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so the second would be the assessment plan by the per- professional team mm-hmm. after you sign your assessment. The third part is consent and, and IEP development uh, meetings. So once you do um, that, then you're going to go IEP implementation. Now the consent and IEP development is just basically how you're going to, and you're developing your individualized educational program for your child. Okay. And again, like what I used to do before I started doing what I told you I do now, which is I meet with everybody prior Mm -hmm. um, and get all the reports a week or so in advance to read everything. If you don't have chance to do that, just hold off and sign it and make sure you read everything. And then you can come back and make sure if there are things that you don't agree on, you just put, um, I agree to everything except for, and you list what you don't agree with. Mm -hmm. And anything you don't consent to is not implemented. Anything you consent to is implemented. Mm -hmm. So if I, if they say, okay, we want to take away occupational therapy for your child. We want to take away speech therapy for your child. This is if you're not initial. This is just your regular one, your annual or annual. And I have done this. And I go, no. I said, I agree with all parts. You can agree in part and say, I only agree with, you know, them offering me behavior or them offering me a one-on-one or them offering this. Everything else that you don't agree with is called a stay put. And stay put means it's a it's a stay of services. They can't change it. They can't do anything different okay. from there. And then, um, so that's your consent and then developmental um, meeting. And then the fourth one would be the IEP implementation school, um, implementation of the school provides special education services. So that means just everything that you did agree to, everything that you said, okay, yes. Um, then they start implementing. They start actually doing those services for your child. Okay. Whether it's for the, and the last one is the IEP review, follow-up and IEP meetings that's your annuals or your follow-up your you know you have your 30 days if it's a new one or yeah. you have your 60 day so nine, or they, they have a they have the annual but if it's a new one then it's a 90 day follow-up okay and if it's a one that um at the beginning of the year and there's a, a new like a new grade then they have a 30 day transitional meeting so okay. those are just part of the process and, and that's about it anything else just i would suggest that you you know learn up on make sure that you know of your child's selpa um selpa 
offers what are, you know, they're basically special educational local plan areas and you can get more information. Just It's just all school districts and county schools were required to form like a geographical region of sufficient like size and scopes of like they basically provide all the special education services for child residing in that region boundary. So okay. if 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 one city doesn't have the service for your child and they go, well, we can't provide that. So another thing is when you're in the in the development and you're saying, well, I think that my child does need speech services, but your your child's school says, well, we don't have anything available for that service. Then you say, well, then you, you're part of a SELPA, right? Special Education Local Plan Area. So one of your in that region should be able to provide it. The school will have to pay to take, you know, your child to a different city or whatever way they are, either bust them in mm-hmm. or have that person paid to come and provide your child with, with services. So you want to know where the, about yourself and how that works and all the boundaries for that mm. um, because either way it goes if one city doesn't provide it it doesn't offer the particular one that we have are so big they it's they are their own SELPA so they have so all the services in one city right. but most cities or SELPAs are made up of four to five cities they make them up so if and they're all in that same boundary so you can just bust one to another one to get that city services or they can pay somebody to come from that other city to, to provide services gotcha. but other than that I think that that's about it Okay, sounds good. That'll do it for this portion of this episode. And then from there, we're going to segue into um, School to Prison Pipeline, and then we'll get into that. So tune in. And until then, thank you so much for joining us, Malika. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm looking forward to the definitely getting into that next uh, piece because it's going to be a doozy. All right. Absolutely. So until next time, we'll be right back. Peace. Peace.